you'll find that the, the combined use of all those elements together, you create any character, you can create any emotion. They're all just combinations of those things working together. And that's what makes good acting is understanding the psychological processes behind the results. Bad actors act results, good actors act processes and get results. Hello and welcome back to the Spiritual Psychology of Acting podcast. Thank you to everybody who listened to last week's episode where we chatted to the wonderful Eddie Marsan. If you haven't checked that out yet, please do. It was a really inspiring and fantastic chat. But for our second episode of the season, we are talking about the psychology of emotions. Now, obviously, emotions are universal. Everybody experiences them to some degree, and they're a fundamental part of what it means to be human. But very often, actors can come across all sorts of problems when trying to portray emotions on screen or on stage. In this episode, we explore what emotions really are, why we become emotional, and what happens to us when we do. It's a packed conversation, so let's jump straight into it. So emotions, it's a fascinating subject. Uh, one there's quite a bit of research on, and obviously there's lots more still to come in the years, hopefully. But yeah, from an acting point of view, it's something that can really tie actors up in knots. Can't if they see on the in the script that they have to cry or being given the direction to to get emotional or to get angry, actors can freeze up or worry about how they're going to effectively portray that emotion. I kind of I find as well with for the for audience members, especially those who aren't that familiar with the acting process, emotions and and the way that actors can embody and inhabit them can be something that's really impressive. I think for for a lot of people, it's seen as a a big skill for actors to have to exhibit all these kind of various ways that we um, express emotion. And we'll obviously, we'll, we'll get to that in, in, in good time for, for the actor. But uh, a good place to start, I think, would be emotions from a psychological perspective and from a scientific point of view. So what, what, what to your understanding, are emotions? Well, well, first of all, you're absolutely right. Emotions are, are crucial in acting that um, the uh, emotions of the character are, are, are what the, the audience really pick up and empathise with. Uh, and actors that uh, have emotion in their performance are obviously a lot more compelling to watch than ones that are like planks planks of wood. Um, but actually the irony is, is that uh, great acting comes not from manufacturing emotions artificially, um or forcing emotions or or having emotions there for their own sake um scientifically speaking or psychologically speaking emotions can be defined as the biophysiological result of thoughts or patterns of thoughts or complexes of thoughts so emotions are results and in good or great acting uh, we know that we don't act results. You know, if you act a result, you get a cliche. If you act a process, you get a result. So the emotions of that should be there arising of their own accord um, in the moment from the freedom of the actor and through the psychological processes. Uh, in other words, the actor creating the circumstances 
of the character in their imagination and then allowing the emotions to arise. But then, of course, it's really important that once the emotions do arise, that you allow yourself to feel them. And there are certain obstacles that actors face that, you know, which we'll discuss as we go along, which um, impede the manifestation of the emotion. Well, it's really the actor's own unfinished thinking, um, their own emotional blockages uh, uh, stop them from being able to feel the character's emotions. Um, so one of the things that I think is important in training an actor is to help the actor to, to, to develop a, a healthy relationship with their own emotions. You know, there's there's an extreme on one end, we could indulge our emotions. So every, every, every little emotion, we, we, we eke it out and we wring it for everything it's got. And then on the other end of the seesaw, we would have repressing emotion. You know, I'm fine. There's nothing going on. There's nothing, there's nothing to see here. Move along. And if you think of that as a seesaw, somewhere in the middle is, that, is the balance. You know, the fulcrum point is the balance. And I'm talking at the moment from, from the perspective of, first of all, the actor developing a healthy relationship with their own emotions which obviously has its own, you know, emotional psychological benefits in itself, never mind for acting. Uh, emotion arises because of our psychological patterns. So we have a purpose. And if we think that we're going to be achieving the purpose, we call that a positive emotion. But if we, if there is an obstacle to our purpose, we experience what we could call a negative emotion of which, you know, there are different flavors to that, but essentially uh, happiness or joy is achieving purposes, you know, from a, an acting perspective and unhappiness, sadness, frustration, anger, uh, all the, you know, we could call the loosely called the negative emotions. They come from watching obstacles to purposes or experiencing obstacles to purposes and those obstacles can either be outer obstacles which reach the mind via the senses so you know the building's on fire and you go to exit the building in a hurry and the door's locked and so the, the locked door is an obstacle to your survival um, or more often and as it is more often the case they're inner obstacles so their thoughts about what you don't want to happen and what do you want to happen is you want to fulfill your purpose. And what you don't want to happen is the opposite to that. Do you, do you see what I mean? So I use um, a diagram uh, in the class, which, which uh, I, I learned from my teacher, which was really useful to understand this. And if you imagine an aerial view standing in an alleyway, so you're looking from above. And at the end of the alleyway, there's a light. And at the and the light is your purpose, what you think will make you happy. Then if there's a clear, unobstructed view between you and the fulfillment of your purpose, this state of affairs we call happiness. However, if then someone were to come into the alleyway and put some screens up or some big boxes in the way and partly obscured the light, then when the light hit the obstacle, the screen, the box, then it would cast a shadow on the floor. And this would be negative, what we could call negative emotion. 
So negative emotion is watching obstacles to purposes. And the brighter the light, in other words, the more the, the more invested in the purpose that the, the actor is, when they then, within the context of the play, meet an obstacle, then it casts a deeper, darker shadow. So the first precondition, and, and as I know, we've, we've in our preparation, we've, we've been through a range of some of the sort of main emotions that we experience in life, and therefore we have to experience on stage and screen as an actor what we have to act. You know, I think the first five we could loosely, we loosely call negative emotion. Yeah. Um, and they're all manifestations of, of uh, watching obstacles to purposes. So if the actor doesn't know how to program a purpose and how to actually want what the character wants, and just to you know write it in your notepad isn't good enough, you have to, well, how do purposes come? They come as pictures and impressions, mental sensations. So then you need to program that. If I'm playing uh, Romeo and I want to be loved by Juliet, what does it mean that I want I can't, you know, rather than just write it in my notepad, if I want to be loved by Juliet, that means that I know the look in her eyes that she has when she looks into my eyes. And it's like looking straight into the soul. There's just, there's no obstacles. There's just pure, we just, there's a real pure look in her eyes and there's a joy in her eyes. I know, for example, that when I hold her, in my arms, I can smell the coconut oil that she uses in her hair. And I know how her soft lips feel to kiss. Now I have a purpose. Now I'm starting to get um, romantic. Do you see what I mean? So and there's so an emotional her, attachment as well, isn't there? That's what well, exactly. It's forming the attachment. That, yeah, that's that's what very often is what passes for love is actually just, is really an attachment to something, especially if it's uh, rooted in lust. Um, yeah. <laughs> then then we, we we create an attachment for that. But then if then someone kills Juliet or came over and punched Juliet in the face, then only if as an actor we've invested as through the character in the purpose I want to be loved will we have the negative emotion that arises from the loss? Like, for example, if, you know, you're acting in a scene where your son dies, right? Your your child gets run over outside your house. In order for you to create that emotion, even if you only appear in the film once and that's all that happens in the scene is man man's child gets run over in the street and you have to act that part, then you can't really create the emotion that would arise from that situation unless, as an actor, you've created a psychological investment in the child. So you would need to create the pictures of being at the birth, the first time you got to hold your baby son, Mm. changing their nappy, when they learn to walk, you know, going to the park on an autumn afternoon and kicking a football and teaching them how to kick a football. The first football match that you went to together, going and singing songs in the car together, nursery rhymes, and then the truck hits the child. 
Yeah. Now, because there you've got as an actor, you've created the affinities of the relationship with the child, then the emotion will arise because there is a, a psychological loss. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Now, if you don't have a purpose, then the obstacles are meaningless, right? Because obstacles are only there by virtue of purposes. If you don't have a purpose and you don't have obstacles, what do actors then do? or, you know, um, actors that don't really know what they're doing, what do they do, is they, as it were, they paint the shadows on the floor. There's no shadow there because the shadow can only come from the light hitting the obstacle that casts a shadow. Yeah. But if they don't have the purpose and the obstacle, then they have to paint it on the floor. And what does that really mean? They have to show the emotion. And that's what showing is. So then the actor will think in passive imagination. And they'll work on the externals. How am I going to look? Can I make myself cry? Can I force tears? Or can I just make my voice sound like that? And then people will think that I'm crying or I'm upset. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. I'm showing it. And, and you know, if you take that to extreme, you get what we call mugging it. So they're yeah. showing it where there's forcing, which is trying to push a result that isn't there. Then there's showing, which is demonstrating what the character's doing, but you're thinking in passive imagination. And then there's out and out mugging. And that's the kind of thing you see in a pantomime where they yeah. go, ooh, ah, ooh, ooh, and they're doing the faces. Um, but there's no actual emotion there. I've got first-hand experience of this, actually, because, I mean, a lot of the, the research that I've prepared for this episode has come from Dr. Paul Ekman, who's this um, expert in emotions. He's dedicated his entire life to how emotions you know, appear on the face and the kind of the, the bodily changes and in-depth in intricacies. But when I, a couple of few years back, when I really got into this kind of stuff and because it, it is, it's, it's completely fascinating and it is great, but I did, I ended up falling into that trap of, okay, this is what it looks like on the face for terror or fear. And then I, I really remember clearly I had this self tape and like looking back at it now, it is, it's proper just mugging it. It's, it's, it's like almost gurning. It's just, it's pure showing. There's no connection at all to what my character wants. It's just oh, this is what fear looks like, this is what anger looks like, so I'm going to show this. As an audience member, it's repellent because there's no truth to it. It is, it's, it is like a pantomime or it's like a, a badly drawn portrait. That's that's the effect it has. And I think audiences can sniff that out as well because everyone lives these really complex emotional lives. They, they know what these experiences feel like to some degree, even if they if it's not kind of sharply defined or it's, you know they don't really know the ins and outs of what these emotions look and feel like they can, I think, can sniff out the bullshit, I think, as well. Oh, absolutely. And, and I, I remember that, you know, as your teacher, I remember that when you would go to do something early on in the course, Yeah, there would be, you know, I'd be teaching you how to create the processes in order to for the emotion to arrive. And you had a complex as an actor to show everything. Yeah. You know, and I, I think yeah. you went for a stage where you would have it, but then you would think it's not enough. So you would show it on top. And I remember yep. encouraging you to like, no, just trust that, that if you've got the thoughts, it's enough. And, you know, allow yourself to feel it, but don't force it and don't mug it and don't show it. Yeah. You know, just allow it to manifest. And and I noticed during the course that that really cleared up. You know, yeah. you learned to trust that. Yeah, and, no, uh, absolutely. That, that was wonderful to see. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, I t that's it's, it's totally my experience of it as well. Like, re it's it's that moment of realizing, like, oh, I'm 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 just adding too much, and it is. It's the trust. 
it's a trust that you know if you are connected to that objective you have that purpose like it's, it's there rooted the thoughts follow the emotions start to follow you don't have to to do more it's actually freeing as an actor because your job becomes easier in that sense yeah well, well it's understanding that acting is thinking firstly yeah acting is thinking created within a created mind and what's that mind made of thoughts and that's allowed to manifest itself through the actor's body and voice that's good acting and it's and you notice there it's like acting isn't doing acting first of all is thinking and then allowing it to manifest but of course having said that it's really important that you allow yourself to feel it and that's why you know within the training that i encourage the actors to and show them how to develop a healthy relationship with their own emotions so they're free to feel the character's emotions and they're not blocked up by their own unfinished thinking which is cut them off from certain emotions which limits their range as an actor you know ultimately yeah. is it you know the, the the actor has to be free free of what free of the baggage from the past free of uh, unfinished thinking you know free of resentment free of the, their own shame free of their own sadness that they've accumulated to you know raise their level of consciousness and teach them how to rise above that so that then they can fully engage what's going on with the character and they can indeed feel the character's emotions i think well, i think it's also important to to note i guess or just to remember that in life, we don't choose to be emotional, right? It's something that happens to us. That's and, right. And, and so that's that's the trick of the actor, I guess, isn't it? Because we know everything beforehand. The script's there. We know how it's going to pan out. And it's and it's getting back to like that state of how we experience emotions in life, which is we don't choose them. It's like we want something and and, it's an, and the emotion comes as a byproduct of, of getting it or not getting it. But there's a ch- when, when we're having an emotion, there's a change in the physiology. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? And, and yeah. in some ways, when when is the character formed? It's really to create a character is to create a new physiology. Yeah. Your physiology changes. In other words, the chemistry in your body changes to the to the character's ke- chemistry. It's not yours. How have you done it? You've created it in your imagination yeah. through a very simple process, as I teach on the course, purposes, actions, causal thinking objectives and affinities that's really what it's made of and it's understanding what those those things are and how they work together but if you understand all of those things you can create anything you see in any circumstance that the character's in you can truthfully create it if you know what the process is behind it i think very often for the actor as well that's that's where the initial problem lies isn't it because i guess as a society there's a general tendency to repress emotion or that we shouldn't be too emotional or get too emotional or or show show any kind of emotion there's that kind of well it's co- it's of... cultural as well you know we yeah, hear about yeah. the, sort of the Brit the british stiff upper lip <laughs> yeah. and yeah. Uh, the passionate italians etc those yeah. cliches but but you know there, there is some truth in it yeah that you know there's a cultural thing it's like you know bury your emotions uh, don't you know boys don't cry or all that that kind of yeah. stuff is really unhelpful yeah I think also that we, we, we you term the negative emotions. We have these terms for negative emotions, but they're only really negative unless we indulge them. Because really, it, it's important for people to know that emotions. You know, we have to have emotions that we can't possibly get rid of them. 
And sometimes what we term the negative emotions can actually be really helpful for us. You know, so like sadness can alert people to the fact that we're in need of their help. Um, you know, disgust can often help us, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a mechanism to help us not to go for too many intoxicating foods or drinks or anything that could be toxic to us. You know, fear can help us and alert us to remove ourselves from a dangerous situation. Or I guess even anger, that's the one that most people try and eradicate in their lives. But even anger can be a real motivator for change and social justice and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's you know, I think the, the Pixar film Inside Out really expertly shows that we need that balance of emotions, that even sadness plays a part. It kind of plays a part in the, the general makeup and we need these emotions on some level to kind of be there and, and, and not repress them and not bat them down. No, and it's part of the human experience. In, in the Hindu teaching, they have the idea of what are known as the rasas, and the rasas are different emotions, essentially. There's a there's a finite amount of different emotions. And it's interesting to note that one of them is suffering. Mm. And if you've ever met a person who has never suffered, I don't, you know, I, I wouldn't believe you if you said alive. that. It's, no, it, yeah. it, you know, it seems to be a given of human life. And where, and of course, where does the suffering come from? The suffering comes from purposes, from desire. Um, suffering comes from the unfulfillment of a purpose. But the first precondition of creating the suffering for the character is the character had to have a purpose. Even if there's a natural purpose like survival or, or, you know, uh, to be loved or to be healthy or to stay alive or or something like that, uh, you have to have a purpose before you can have emotion. I think there's also a reason that we say that, you know, emotions come from the heart and not like say the appendix, you know, the appendix can be removed and we can still survive, whereas, you know, not so with the heart. And the same with emotions, I guess, you know, we can't eradicate emotions from our lives and we wouldn't want to really, like they, they are beneficial to us. It's it's more about having the right emotional response that's appropriate to the situation, isn't it? Absolutely. Than- the, 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 the brain, the heart and the gut are all inextricably interlinked. Yeah, you know, we think of them as separate organs, but they all work concurrently together. And that you could think of them really as one organ, um, mm. you know, and people do feel sadness in the heart. Yeah. You know, or grief or pain or even people feel a, a constriction around the heart, like a pressure around the heart when they're dealing with grief, that it affects that that part. There are you know neurons in the heart. This is proven. There are serotonin receptors in the gut. So the emotional center would be seen to be the heart and the gut, you know, the, the more primal emotions within the gut and mm-hmm. um, the brain, but they're all inextricably interlinked. You can't separate one from the other. But in acting, we, we need to bypass working on stoking up emotion for its own sake and work on creating the, the, the life of the character in active imagination and then allowing the emotions to arise naturally. Yeah. That's what creates truthful and compelling acting. Yeah, so maybe it'd be good to go through some of the uh, most fundamental emotions that we experience in life. And therefore, we have, as actors, we have to create them on stage or on screen. Yeah. And yeah. Um, we can look at the emotions individually. I know that you've got six first core ones. Yep. And then uh, perhaps we can talk a bit about uh, the process of creating them, you know, what they mean psychologically and the process of creating them for acting. Yeah, yeah, great. I think the 
the one to begin with really is is surprise because it's the briefest emotion. It's it's always a very brief emotion, and I guess people don't often think of it as an emotion. But it's it's one of the most interesting ones to me because I feel like this is integral to just acting in general. The, the whole the whole kind of premise behind surprise is if you have time to to think about the event that's coming, then you can't be surprised. It's just, it's impossible. And right. and what Paul Ekman says is that surprise is either triggered by an unexpected event or a misexpected event. And so the difference, an unexpected event would be that you're not expecting anything in particular to happen, which is what we often describe as surprise. But misexpected is when you have a specific anticipation for something to happen and then you get something different. So for, I guess, for instance, you you bite into a, a, a lovely pastry that you expect to be filled with like a chocolate ganache, but it's actually filled with pork meat. That kind of thing. That's a misexpected. You expect one thing and you get something else completely different. I think that's just kind of generally as an actor, like we were saying, we, we, we know the script, we know how it's going to pan out. We have to be almost in a constant state of surprise because that's kind of a general level of how we live our lives. Right? We, don't, we have an idea, we have an expectation of what's to come, but very often every day and in every minute of every day, that's constantly subverted. Yeah, well, I think we we have talked about this quite a lot in other episodes. Yeah. Um, but what what Stanislavski said about this was that everything in life was expected to be different. Therefore, the same must be on stage. Yeah. So, how do you create surprise in acting in terms of acting technique? And this is a massive part of what makes a good actor is the yeah. ability to act unexpected events. Mm. And the problem is, is that the actor, of course, knows what's going to happen in the play because they've been to rehearsals and they've read the script. So they know what's going to happen, but the character doesn't. So we make a differentiation between what we call the actor's perspective, which is comprised of the events of the play. So now this happens, then this happens, then this happens, then he says that line, then I say that line, and then I go over there, and then I pour myself a drink, and then I turn around on that line, and then I point my finger, and then you just see what I mean? That's yeah, yeah. the actor's perspective. That's what 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 happens, and that's in that's the play, you know, as written by the, the playwright. But then the character's perspective of what's to come is comprised of the character's purposes. So I want this, but I get that. You know, uh, I do this. I do this in class when I'm teaching how to act basic events, which are these little moments. You know, because every moment you were saying about um, what was it, uh, unexpected event and misexpected events. Yeah, yeah. But even with what we call an unexpected event, you were expecting something. Because we're always anticipating something, even if it's just for our peace to carry on in the next moment or yeah. to survive in the next moment. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, so they're yeah. all really, they're both forms of um, unexpected events and unex acting unexpected events is one of the key skills of an actor. And how do you do it? You have to turn your back on the event and you have to anticipate something different. So then when the actual event that's taken going to take place in the play, you're anticipating something else. So there's a natural moment of orientation that takes place and the audience just go, oh, wow, that was completely real. Yeah. So, for, for example, if like, you know, at the end of act two, my character gets stabbed in the back. Right. And I die. And that's the cliffhanger at the end of act two. It's like, oh, no, he died. 
And I've had a disagreement with somebody in the scene. And I say, well, look, we'll just have to agree to disagree. All right. Can you get out now? Leave. They say, all right, I'm going, I'm going. And they, they leave and they close the door. And then I walk over to my desk and I notice some papers on my desk and they're unpaid bills because of the financial woes that I'm experiencing at the moment. And then I pick up the red bill for the electricity and I'm looking at it and I see it's a final notice. And the electricity board are saying that if I don't pay by this day, they're going to cut off the electricity. And then I'm thinking about how much overdraft I have in my bank account and how I don't have the money to buy food next week. And then I start imagining what will happen when they turn the electrics off in here. There'll be no lighting. I need to get candles. How am I going to cook? I've got that gas stove in, in, the, in the shed that I take camping. And then I get stabbed in the back. <laughs> in other yeah. words, what am I describing is I have to find objects of attention, characters, thoughts. And you notice what I described there, they all had mental pictures behind them. Mm. With the bill, with the gas stove, with the, you, do, do you know what I mean? The, the, yeah. the electrics being turned off, not having money to buy food next week. They all came with pictures. And I fill my mind with those pictures. As an actor, I know the other character is going to creep back in behind and they've got a knife and they're going to come up behind me and they're going to stab me in the back. But as a, as a character, I don't know that. Yeah. So how do I make myself not know that? I fill my mind with designed objects of attention which have been put there to stop me anticipating the event. Yeah. And then there'll be a natural shock when you feel the fake knife, you know, <laughs> go into your back and it bursts the, the, the blood and they've stabbed you in the shoulder. Yeah. And uh, then, then the shock that's going to be on your face will be from using the natural process that the mind uses to orientate itself in a situation like that. But you've tricked the mind by turning your back on the event. I mean, that's quite an extreme sort of example, sure. but I think it illustrates the point. And that's how you act surprise, turn your back on what's really going to happen by creating other objects of attention. And the important thing there is when you create those, the best way, you know, if you want the mind to be absorbed in these objects of attention so you can turn your back on what's really going to happen, the best way to do that is to fill the mind with sense data so you know when you're thinking about the lights turning off the darkness the cold that you're going to experience in the house because it's winter um the smell of going to find the candles and lighting the candles and the smell of the matches as you light the candles do you see I me mean, the more sensory yeah, yeah. data you add to that the more absorbed you are as a character in the character's thoughts the easier it is to turn your back on on the events of the play yeah, and therefore experience, experience real surprise. Yeah, and it's in a way every moment is a surprise. Yeah, well, that's the thing, isn't it? It's keeping know, the character you, alive, isn't it? Yeah. Well, we went both went to speak then, you know, <laughs> and uh, we both had the event. You said we both thought the coast was clear to say the next thing, <laughs> and we both had to orientate ourselves when the obstacle of the other person going to speak came up. Yeah. You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So really, this is going on every moment. Yeah. 
And I think that's that's the important thing, isn't it? That in the script that probably reads as he turns his back and reads the letters or something. Like something's very simple like that. Very, or might not even have that kind of stage direction. Might not even have that much detail. But the actor has to create that amount of detail, has to create that level of engagement. And that is what will keep them interesting to watch, right? That's It's like the stuff that's between the lines. It's not just subtext, but it's also just the character's day-to-day existence, which has to be going on all the time. Right. Well, how, how, how I get to teach uh, unexpected events is I'll get some polos and I'll get a polo out and I'll go to offer it to one of the students. And I say, do you want a polo? And they say, oh, yes, please. I said, well, go on and take one. And then just as they go to take it, I pull it away. And they have an event, right? And I, they didn't expect me to do that. And then I say, right, now let's do it again. But now you know I'm going to pull it away. So how do you create an unexpected event in that moment is you have to have the picture, you get the polo and you put it in your mouth and you taste it and therefore turn your back on the knowledge that you know that in this part of the play, I offer you a polo and then I put it away. And all, all, you know, and I do this with each student and each student can really see like that was real because they had the pictures. They had the purpose to get the polo. But if they don't have the, the purpose in pictures to get the polo, they won't get the natural orientation and surprise. It's fascinating. I think that's, that's why it's, you know, surprise, we don't really see it as an emotion, but in many ways it's one of the most important because it kind of occupies so much. It's, you know, it's very, it's very infinitesimal, the, the, the feeling of it, but the whole, whole, point, the whole thing is we can't have surprise if we have time to anticipate the event. And it's just how do you trans, translate that as an actor? Because you know everything that's happening. Yeah, that's, that's the great skill of the actor. Well, you're always having surprise because one of the things about purposes is that purposes themselves are perfect, unique, and ideal. So, for example, you see, you know, um, the the high street coffee shop and uh, you think, oh, I'll go and get myself, go and grab a coffee. And then you go into the coffee shop and you get the smell of the coffee and then you order the coffee that you want. You So you have one in your head, which is perfect, unique, ideal, or as perfect, unique, ideal as you think is attainable. Then they make the coffee and they give you the coffee. And then you take the first sip. And I don't know, it won't be as warm as you anticipated. Yeah. Or it will be hotter than you anticipated. Or... Um, it'll be more diluted. It won't be as strong and bitter as you anticipated in your perfect, unique, ideal picture. In other words, if all purposes are perfect, unique, and ideal, every moment we have a purpose, when we get the result, right, we see what actually happens compared with our anticipation, we either have a little mini regret or a little mini enjoy. And this process is going on all the time. And if you can do that in acting through the means I just described, but obviously we need to learn how to do it and practice doing it and have some guidance doing it, then the audience would be like, oh my God, I don't know how you did that, but it just looked completely real. And that's what we very often fail to see in acting because the actors are very often thinking about their emotions or thinking about how they look or thinking about how they sound or hitting their mark. Do you see what I mean? That that's yeah. really what they're thinking about.
Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. We really hope that you're enjoying it and you're learning lots from it. I just wanted to tell you that I'm doing a live workshop in London on the 15th and the 16th of September 2023. It's from 11 a.m. till 6 p.m. On those two days, it's a weekend. It's a Saturday and Sunday where if you've been listening to the podcast and you've been learning some of the information that we've been given, of course, for the information to become knowledge, we need to put it into practice. So here's your opportunity to come and put some of these things into practice and start developing your acting technique with the spiritual psychology of acting. Go to the website where you can find out about all our courses, including the six modules. You can study now remotely the entire course through all the modules with all the exercises from the comfort of your own home. But if you wanted to get in the room and receive some personal guidance, you know where to come. All the very best. Bye. So following on from surprise, one that can often be linked with surprise is the emotion of fear. And fear can, people fear harm, either psychological or, or, or physical. And we, we learn really from a very early age to anticipate danger, you know, don't touch the fire, you know, be careful of glass, all that kind of stuff. Um, the kicker with fear really is the fact that we can fear both real and imagined threats of harm. And very often the fear of the danger of the harm can actually be more miserable than the actual pain itself, what we'd call suffering. And so although fear is linked with surprise, it differs in three main ways. So fear is a terrible experience and surprise is not. Surprise is just a general, you know, we, we can characterize what the event is if it's a good surprise or a nasty surprise, but surprise in itself is just neutral. But fear is always a terrible experience. Even, even mild fear is, is unpleasant. And you can also be afraid of something that's familiar to you. So, you know, surprise is, is something you're, you're completely not expecting. But fear, you can be afraid of something that's familiar to you and you know full well is going to happen. So you get the call that you've got a dentist appointment in three weeks. You can feel fear for the entire three weeks up until, you know, even in the the, uh, the waiting room. You know, the, the, the fear can be a very prolonged experience in that sense. Or, you know, or, you know to take it back to acting, you can, you can feel fear waiting in the wings about, you know, ready for your cue to go on stage. And the other way that it, that it differs from surprise, surprise being the briefest emotion, fear definitely isn't. So you can feel fear for the entire duration of a flight, you know, anticipating the crash for the entire three or four hours. And, and even after the, the danger has passed, you can still feel the effects of fear. If you know, fear, fear lingers. So those, that's kind of the, the, the basic outline of fear. How, how do you then program that as an actor? Well, you know, again, fear is comes from watching obstacles to purposes. You might have fear when you have to go and do the talk because you you're having pictures of making mistakes in a public setting and you have a fear of humiliation, but only by virtue of your purpose to be either accepted or respected. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So that kind of fear, you know, fear of losing face or fear of inferiority or do you see what I mean? Or fear yeah. of exposure, of being psychologically exposed. They could they can be fears. But, you know, the general terror fear will come from watching obstacles to the purpose. I want to survive or to feel secure. 
really. And there's that they're on a gradient. Feel so, like I want to survive. There's two definitions of I want to survive. One is just I want to stay alive. So if I'm you know if I'm crossing the road. And I'm listening to my to music, and I think the coast is clear. And I suddenly look, and there's a, a a bus, and it just pulls on its brake because it's about to hit me. That moment, you know, biologically, I'm I'm biologically designed to survive, to want to survive is the is the basic purpose of of every living thing is to to survive. Then the fear will arise because I'm having an obstacle to surviving. But surviving is also that I want to get through life unscathed. Do you see what I mean? You know, someone who, who, you know, who's just, you know, in an absolute frightened situation, anxious all the time is because they have a fear of being scathed in some way, whether that's physically or psychologically. uh, It's a a fear of, of physical or psychological pain. Yeah. Remember, pain, pain is generally when when I use the word pain, I'm talking about um, physical and suffering is psychological. You can have pain without suffering, and you can have suffering without pain. You see what I mean? One yeah, is psychological, yeah. the other one uh, is physical. Um, but generally, what what do we fear most, apart from um, the end, you know, death, uh, which is the obstacle to surviving? Uh, we fear not fulfilling our purposes. So, like I said, if the character wants to be respected, they will fear being humiliated. Yeah. Or if the character wants to be admired, they will um, fear um, being ridiculed. Or do you, do you see what I mean? Yeah. So, so, so that's how you create it. You again, you have to have the purpose. Um, very, very often, you can you can get people who you can see all the time, don't you? Lists of the most common fears that people have, and death is usually like second or third under public speaking you know those kind of things so people fear those things more because i guess it like you say it's reputation there's there's so much more at stake yeah yeah so but if you didn't have a purpose to be respected or admired or accepted you wouldn't have a fear of public humiliation do you see what i mean yeah And, yeah. and to the degree that you have a purpose to be admired respected or accepted for example you know there are other purposes but they're the main ones yeah it will create the the shadow in the anticipated obstacle, the inner obstacle. And we're using the shadow analogy again. It will make that shadow very, very dark. So you'll have a lot of fear. But you mentioned act, the actor standing in the wings with stage fright. Yeah. Stage fright really comes from obviously from watching obstacles to egotistic purposes generally. You know, you want to impress, you want to be admired as an actor. And also, the less you know what you're doing, the more fear you have yeah um you know one of the one of the purposes of the spiritual psychology of acting is to eradicate fear in actors by giving them the right knowledge for them to do their job properly that we call confidence right you know confidence Mm -hmm. you could say is the psychologically speaking is the result of the applied use of the right knowledge do you see what I mean? You've replied, yeah. you've applied it frequently, the right knowledge, then you don't have fear. Do you see what I mean? So, yeah. you know, an, an actor who's, you know, a professional actor, meaning that you can do it, whether you feel like it or not, you can put yourself in a state of inspiration. They yeah. won't have a fear of auditions because they know what they're doing. But if you don't know what you're doing and you're really attached to the result as an actor, you're going to be riddled with fear. So if you want to overcome stage fright, find out how to do your job properly. And that will <laughs> and sort out your purposes, you know? 
Yeah, definitely. That's great. I mean, you can have what you want, but you have to take what comes with it. So if you have if you have a purpose to feel superior, then you have to suffer the fear of being made inferior. If you have a purpose to be respected, then you have to go around all the time fearing humiliation. So when you choose a purpose, you also choose the obstacles that come with it. And that's what finishing off thinking is very often. It's fine, you know, finishing off thinking starts with obstacles, with suffering, and then working back from there and saying, well, which purpose does this obstacle belong with? So what is it that I want that I'm fearing that I'm not going to have? Then you can work out the purpose and then you finishing off thinking is really, do I really need to be admired? Do I really need to be liked? Is it really so important that this group of strangers like me or not? Is it actually, that's finishing off your thinking. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? And then if you let go of the purpose I want to be liked, you won't have to suffer the fear of not being liked. So as far as I'm concerned, you know, when you go on stage, maybe a little bit on the first performance, because you are orientating yourself for the first time in front of the audience. But really, a professional actor shouldn't be feeling fear when they go on. You get actors, of course, that say, oh, it's good to have fear because then, you you know, you'll have more energy or you'll have more inspiration. But that they're mistaking inspiration that's more, yeah that's more it's, it's more excitement isn't it than, than fear because you well, get the, the, ex- the adrenaline junkie who feels excitement and that's they're not feeling really the fear they're enjoying it and fear is an, an inherently unenjoyable experience it's a, it's a very unpleasant experience well exactly that's and that's the difference between adrenaline and inspiration what you want is inspiration and inspiration is freedom of fear but if you but the first precondition of adrenaline is your survival has to be threatened it's a natural process you know it's a, a hormone that gets released It's a chemical that gets released into the system in order for you to either fight or flight to so you can run away quickly. You know, it's like rocket fuel. Um, You know, food is petrol. Adrenaline is like rocket fuel to give you the power (laughs) to run away quickly. But the first precondition of having that is you have to have fear. So if you're working on your adrenaline, you know, over time as an actor, it's really going to take toll on your uh, emotional health if you do that. Much better to learn how to do your job properly and how to put yourself in a state of inspiration which of course is one of the topics we cover in detail within the course excellent so the next emotion then is disgust disgust is like a feeling of aversion there's certain responses it involves usually like in a getting rid of response or a getting away from response and you know as we've said before you know emotions are universal but they're also culturally different so it's mainly tastes and smells and touches that people find disgusting but obviously what we find disgusting in one culture can be completely normal and fine in another culture you know in terms of certain animals that people eat as well you know but it's not just the senses that can cause the disgust you can be disgusted by actions or appearances of people you know or, the, or ideas and it's also what's quite interesting about disgust that in mild disgust, there is the sense of that getting away from impulse, but it's not necessarily acted upon. So in terms of that, you can, you can be over at a friend's house for dinner and the food they've cooked isn't very nice at all, but you eat it in order to be polite. you know, Or you, you have an interesting conversation with somebody uh, who has bad breath or a body odour, but you're able to continue the conversation because it's interesting to you. Or you, know, you, you, know, you can even d- disprove of somebody's actions. Uh, you know, a friend who who does something completely different to you, but you can still maintain that friendship even if they do something which 
you find disgust you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it has to be mild disgust in in order to to get over that that speed bump. But yeah, that's that's the ex- kind of experience of disgust. There is also the, the the disgust can also be enjoyable. There's certainly an allure to disgust. I guess it's related to that kind of sense of uh, that our eyes are drawn to the car accident. You know, there's there's a certain kind of um, enjoyment that you can find in disgust. Uh, you, you find gross out comedy, I guess, is is a good example of that. You can be disgusted by something but find it very funny. Or you know, like I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. Is this entertainment program where very often the most entertaining challenges are the ones where they drink blended pigs' testicles and cows' vaginas, and the more that the celebrities are suffering, the more that we enjoy it and find some kind of weird kind of thrill from seeing them wretch at it. You know, there's there's a certainly an allure that disgust has in in, in culture as well. Yeah, and that's to do with the drop as well. You know, it's, it's not surprising. It's, uh, it's not just uh, I'm an everyday Joe. Get me out of here. Is I'm a celebrity. In other words, yeah. I'm someone who thinks that I have value and therefore I need to be celebrated by the public. Get me yeah. out of here. Yeah. Uh, so that's why we, you know, we want to, you know, we want want to see them um, eat kangaroos' testicles or whatever the thing is to yeah. have to do because of the drop between their vision of themselves or how they want their their esteem, how they want to be seen, and yeah. then having to do something which is demeaning. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. Um, but there's some people that are, you know, invested in, you know, go around just being disgusted at everything. It's disgusting, it's disgusting. And usually t- that's to do with the purpose, I want to be morally superior. Right, yeah. So there's an investment in a purpose I want to be. It's one way of, of it's one version of the purpose I want to be superior is I want to be ethically or morally superior. So everything will be, everything other people do is unethical, because I'm, I couldn't help noticing that I'm more um, ethical than you are. <laughs> so therefore, I'm disgusted by everything you do. I guess you also get it with people want to be disgusting for attention as well. That's maybe the only only time that people actually pay attention to them is if they are disgusting. If they do disgusting things, it can be absolutely yeah because they're not getting enough attention if they just live a normal normal life. Yeah, usually that the, the purpose I want to be disgusting is you is usually tied up with I want to be uh, centre of attention. Or the shadow part of that is to be rejected. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the next emotion then is anger, probably the most dangerous emotion. You know, when you when you feel lost in anger, you're probably more likely to hurt people purposefully and probably hurt the ones you love as well. Um, but yeah, part of the, the experience of being angry is that sense of losing control because you often are, you often are under the influence of this torrent of emotions. And in fact, one, and there's, there's definitely purposes that try and eke that out of, of people, right? There's provoking anger so that people do stupid things, they act stupid so you can then manipulate them. If 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 they're not, you know, if if they're not acting under the their senses, if they're kind of out of their senses because they're so completely incensed, then uh that can be a form of control. Like somebody can take advantage of somebody who is completely, you know, outraged. And in fact there's there's definitely people who can take a lot of joy out of seeing somebody completely enraged you know lose oh it's power isn't it if you can enrage someone you're you've got power over them yeah uh you know it's it's a narcissistic tactic isn't it is to to make people angry by because when people get angry their visible thinking shrinks yes everything shrinks down when you get angry and you can't see and reason is shattered when you get angry 
And so, so for a um, you know a narcissistic bully, for example, to put someone in a state of of anger is to take control of them. Yeah. By prov- they'll provoke their anger to make them angry, so then that they're in control, and then they'll enjoy that. In that example, yeah. example. but what is anger? Anger is attacking obstacles to purposes. Yes, again, yeah, yeah, yeah. but back to purposes and obstacles. But in anger, you attack the obstacle it's, yeah it's the destroy impulse isn't it yeah exactly you yeah. want to destroy the obstacle to the purpose yeah. um for example you know i'm acting as character who gets a phone call from my friend and says you know that your wife is in a bar and she's being chatted up by a guy and she seems to be flirting with him and they're they, they're holding hands you want to you know as a, as a character you want to break that up. You want to get between them because you want to be loved by your wife. And so then you go to the club and you go to the door. Now, if you have a purpose, if you see the pictures, right? First of all, you have to have a purpose. I want to be loved by my wife, which is pictures, right? Yeah. Then, then you have to have a purpose that you want to get between. You want to attack the obstacle to your purpose. In other words, the guy who's flirting with your wife. And then you arrive at the club and the bouncer says, uh, you're not coming in dressed like that. You're way too casual. Now, he's put an obstacle to you. You've got a clear purpose of what you want to achieve. You want to get in there and break up your wife with this guy because you want to be loved by your wife. And now the bouncer is saying you can't you, you're not you can't come in because you're not wearing the right clothes. Now, what if you've created that psychologically, now you want to attack the bouncer. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. And that's how you do it truthfully. But if you don't create one of those processes, all you can do is angry acting. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? You just yeah. shout. You know, this is very often why actors, like in a long run of a play, when they have to shout, they lose their voices because they don't really have the anger. In other words, psychologically, they haven't created the, the context for it. And so they're just forcing their voice to be angry. They're just shouting. And of course, the voice isn't designed to do that. So, you know, a few nights in and they've lost their voice from doing it. Yeah. But if you actually created the purpose, then the physiology would adapt itself to meet the psychology. Yeah. Um, so that's what, what anger is. And very often people that, you know, carry a lot of anger, uh, it isn't anger for the actual situation. Mm-hmm. It's anger for something in the past. But when they're angry, they feel powerful because they get an adrenaline rush. So then people could become addicted to being angry. Anger addiction to such a degree that they will go around with a purpose. I want to be wronged. I want someone to wrong me so I can lose myself in this anger. It's called a short fuse, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, that's a short fuse. But it's really, you know, they've got, as we would call it, anger issues. You know, they need to go and see a therapist and get to the root of where this anger is, you know. And, you know, it usually comes down to I'm angry with one of my primary carers or siblings. Yeah. Yeah. Childhood, you know, that's that's what I'm angry or overlooked or something like that. They need to get in touch and find out what they're really angry about. 
Um, but it, but it, it can it can become uh, an addiction because of the feeling of power. So then people want to be wronged so that they can get angry. So they because you feel alive when when the adrenaline is rushing around your system. It's like bungee jumping, or you know, a form of social bungee jumping. It's just getting angry with everybody. <laughs> I guess it's, it is also important to note that that anger does have a, you know a positive outlet as well, and definitely you do get people who repress their anger to the point where it explodes and the most inconvenient place because they have, you know, held on to it for too long. Probably more, da- even da- more dangerous than that is those who turn that anger inwardly on themselves, victimize themselves and yes. blame themselves, getting angry with themselves. Because I think, you know, that's, and there's definitely been connections with physical illnesses that can occur if that anger is just completely pent up and not let out. It's, it's definitely a dangerous thing to, to hold on to. Absolutely. I mean, you know, there's, there's what we call on the course, um, outwardly directed, mortido which is attacking an obstacle to the fulfillment of a libido impulse and i don't just mean sexual libido i mean any of ob- object that, that you're you're attached to is an object of libido and then of course if the um mortido can't be expressed outwardly often due to you know a cultural convention it's no surprise that the Big, uh, biggest murder rate that have the lowest suicide rate because of if the anger isn't allowed to be expressed outwardly like for example because you know god said you must not be angry or your parents said you must not be angry it's ungodly for example then if that was the culture then what do you do with that anger you're still feeling the anger you'll meet the obstacles but it has to go somewhere so it becomes internal and that we call inwardly directed mortido even procrastination can be a form of uh, inwardly directed mortido uh yeah. eating shit food can be yeah, a form of that but being in the wrong relationship can be a form of inwardly directed mortido it's a way of punishing yourself to siphon off the mortido which you are unable to express outwardly yeah it is all great stuff for for acting you know that's this rich material but definitely for personal life it's something you want to be aware of isn't it Oh, absolutely. I mean, re- really, you could say that everything falls into either it's either you're at a state of rest or, you know, you have outwardly directed libido. You know, you're doing something you love or you're talking to someone you love or you're, there's something you, you sort of mean. Or there's inwardly directed libido, which to a degree is healthy. But when it gets out of hand, then it becomes vanity and narcissism. Right. That's what really the narcissism is, is a form of self-stroking. You know, do you see what I mean? Like having a big ego, yeah. etc. It's yeah, yeah. it's st- stroking the self to make up for a stroke deficit of some sort. Uh, and then you either have the outwardly directed or inwardly directed mortido, and the character will be either in one of those four at any given time. Yeah, but there's a direct relationship between the libido and the mortido because the the mortido and libido stream are the same. But actually what's happened with the Mortido stream is it's kind of turned over. It's gone dark side. So now the same energy that you were putting into the, the loving or the living now goes into the destroying or wishing ill on people. Or do you see what, do you see what I mean? Yeah, it, it, yeah. Comes, it comes from that. Um, but like you said, the, the, the psychological uh, repression of the anger uh creates inwardly directed mortido and it attacks the inner organs and the inner system and creates ill health 
Um, but best not to be attached so you don't get angry angry in the first place. Yeah, it's been aware of those triggers, is I guess, isn't it? That yeah. the more you realise, you know, times you become angry, the, the the more you're able to to let those triggers have a, have a very small impact or no impact at all eventually, hopefully. But if you live by the the the, the motto "claim nothing, enjoy," you you wouldn't get angry as much. Yeah, yeah. I won't, I won't say not at all, but you know, do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, but there's kind of righteous anger. There's like you know, some, someone uh, in order to correct ill behaviour. Yeah. But in the Bhagavad Gita, in the sort of you know um, Hindu scriptures, there's a passage that says, uh, "Triple are the gates of hell: lust, greed, and anger. Avoid these three because they are destructive of the self. Lust, greed, and anger." Our uh, work against um, certainly spiritual development, but at the end of the day, you know the, the fact of the matter is you're not your emotions. Emotions come and go. Yeah. You're the witness of the emotions. Yeah. In fact, what is that? It's just pure consciousness. That's that's the, the truth of the matter. But, but but you know now I know when I have emotion, as I'm having it, I know that it will pass. So yeah. I allow it to be there. And, then, and very often I'm fascinated. Like, what's this? What's going on here? In my, what yeah. was this about? And have you ever had the thing where you're sad and you don't really know what you're sad about? Yeah. And then someone says to you, oh, you, you don't look very happy. What's the matter? And you go, yeah, oh, it's this. I've got this going on. And you start talking about it. And you realize, as you're saying it, you realize, no, it's not really that. It's, that's what I think it is, but it isn't that. And then you might go, oh, my God, I know what I'm really sad about. You start looking at your thoughts. In other words, you start looking at your subconscious. And very often what's going on with the character is subconscious as well. So the character doesn't even know why they feel what they feel. But for you as an actor to create a character who doesn't really know why they feel what they feel, they just feel it. You have to work out why they feel what they feel in order to create it, if you see what I mean. Well, that's a great segue into the last of the what we term negative emotions, which is sadness. And and often sadness is, I mean, you can be sad about anything, but more often than not, it's about loss. It can be, you know, through the death of a loved one, uh, loss, personal rejection, you know, of some kind of the end of a relationship, uh, loss of opportunity or job or reward through either your own mistakes or just pure circumstance um, or, you know, somebody else's disregard or somebody else's mistakes a uh, loss of health through illness or accident and loss of a uh, treasured object or family heirloom all that kind of stuff and it's it's rarely a, a, a fleeting emotion like something like surprise it's often felt for minutes hours maybe even days something that Paul Ekman talks about is that if an emotion is felt for longer than a, an hour or so it then becomes a mood um, so the emotion is like the the trigger, what kind of launches that, and then eventually it becomes a mood. So I mean, sadness it can be as it can be an intense feeling, but it's never as intense as as fear. So like sadness can be endured for long periods of time, but fear can't. Eventually, the, the, you feel enough fear that you get into a state of exhaustion, and will probably then go into another another emotion. But sadness also the, a key part of sadness is it's usually quite a passive feeling. Charles Darwin, he, he he worked on a lot of emotions in his, his work. And there's something that he wrote which about sadness, which is that the circulation becomes languid, the face pale, the muscles flaccid, the eyelids droop, the head feels as if it hangs on the contracted chest, the lips, cheeks, and lower jaw all sink downward from their own weight. And it's interesting because probably back then that was quite a scientific look at it. 
Where actually nowadays that's that's more of an imaginative look at it. He's kind of, you know, talking about how it feels rather than what is the actual physiology of it. He's kind of talking about the feeling of the weight kind of being, you know, dragging him down, that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, that's that's the manifestation of the physiological change. The physiological change is the emotion, which we're, in yeah. this instance we're talking about sadness. And then yeah. the things that you just described, they're the, the physical manifestations of the biophysiological changes. Yeah, yeah. Their root is psychological. You know, what is sadness, yeah. really? Sadness is the regret of having not achieved a purpose. Yeah. So the first precondition of becoming sad is you have to want something and then you have to think that you can't have it or that you don't have it. You have to, you want to be loved, told her that you love her and she said she doesn't love you. And now you're sad because you had a purpose. I want to be loved, but without the purpose, I want to be loved. You wouldn't give a knickers whether she loved you or not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you would be sad. Did yeah. you, did you, did you but sad uh, sadness is, is just as I described, and then you said that it becomes a mood if it lasts for you know maybe there's a, a timer it becomes more than an hour. Yeah. But what if it comes over many years, or you know over the main span of a lifetime? Yeah. Then we start to call that depression. Mm-hmm. So what you know in psychological terms in simple you know in terms of talking about purposes actions you know actable terminology to create these things depression is accumulated regret that's why very often older people look sadder than younger people is because they've had more unfulfilled purposes <laughs> yeah. because purpose is a unique and ideal you know and after yeah. after the fulfillment of a purpose either you fulfilled it in its perfection or better then you're called happy or more often than not, I'm afraid to say you didn't fulfill it in its perfection. So there was some regret. Now, where does that regret go? Does it, is there, you know, when you're lying asleep at night, is there a little dumper truck that comes along and it empties the regret out of your ear and it takes it to, I don't know, a dumping ground uh, out in in the countryside somewhere? No, where does it go? It goes into your subconscious. It goes into your being. It, it goes into your biology. Yeah. And that accumulate goes into your mind and that accumulates. And this accumulation, we would say, is depression. So if you're creating a character who is depressed, they have to want something very dearly before. Do you see what I mean? You have to decide yeah. what it was that they wanted. And let's face it, it's usually love, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's love or belonging are the things that that really create the most sadness. Or they wanted to achieve something with their life. They had an aspiration of some sort that was all important to them. And then they've realized that they're, they're not going to achieve it. And they suffer accumulated regret. And that's how you create a character who's depressed. But you again, it all goes back to creating purposes. You have to want it. First of all, you have to create the purpose, first of all, before you can suffer the obstacles. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, so that's the negative emotions. And in Paul Ekman's research, he's eventually come to the conclusion that there could possibly be 16 different enjoyable emotions. So we won't go go through all of them. Um, And I guess part of the reason that that is the case that we don't really know as much about these emotions is because, you know, we, you know, we know far more about mental disorder than we do about good mental health. And that's, that's starting to change now, I think. But 
also these are the juicy emotions, right? These are the ones that 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 play the most uh, have has has the most consequence to our to our daily life and to our enjoyment. Whereas enjoyable emotions, I guess, there's just not enough. Yeah, they're not as exciting to to see, I guess, because they're they're not as as visible, maybe. But I'll, I'll, I'll go through some of them quickly. One of the one of the simplest ones is amusement. Uh, it's one of the lightest ones. Um, there's contentment, a sense of not just a mood that you you feel relaxed, but a, a sense of everything seeming right in the world. That can definitely be a, a byproduct of meditation. I've found is is a general sense of contentment until you try and look for that sense of contentment, in which case it starts to to evaporate. I think um, there's excitement, which usually arises in response to something new or challenging. Very often that can merge with 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 other emotions. Um, so it can merge with anger into rage or with fear into terror. Uh, relief is an interesting one because that's that's an emotion that is often occurs after another strongly felt emotion has subsided. So obviously you well, can be an anticipated obstacle. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. But that's an anticipated obstacle, and then you then it suddenly evaporates through reason or through from from evidence. It's yeah. gone. Yeah, and then have feel relief actually relief means re is again and leaf actually comes from from love so to feel relief is to love again uh, yeah, it's yeah. the real meaning of it yeah which is our natural state do you see what i mean that's the yeah. natural state you yeah. don't have to do that yeah exactly yeah you just remove the obstacle and you feel the relief so uh, again it's it's um in that instance it's it's the dematerialization of unawarely anticipated obstacles. Right, yeah. <laughs> would be that feeling of relief yeah. to get technical about it. Yeah. Well, going going kind of a bit more intense into the enjoyable emotions, you get wonder, which is a, a separate experience from fear. That That's when um, you're overwhelmed by something or something's quite hard to grasp. Um, but it, it usually a wonder is a sense of being overwhelmed by something that's incomprehensible. Uh, usually it's an intense and rarely felt emotion because not much causes causes wonder. It's different from awe, which usually mixes a bit of fear and dread into it. And probably the most intense enjoyable experience is what we call ecstasy or bliss. You know, it's a state of self-transcendence, a com- complete rapture. It's the most intense experience. It can probably only be felt for a short time because of its intensity. That's that's probably the, the the most extreme form of enjoyment is you know the very tail end of that. There there are, there are other ones, but it's it's you know as I said before, it's kind of it's debatable whether or not they're they're emotions. They're they're fascinating concepts. Well, just to say that the the word ecstasy oh, yeah. um, comes from a Greek word, I believe, ecstasis, which actually means to stand outside of oneself is the real meaning of it is to stand uh-huh. on side so to detach from the world or one's one's self meaning one's story and individual self and to be one's true self so the self is bliss the nature of the self is truth because it doesn't check the, the inner self right the not not the mind not the body not the emotions yeah but the real self the witness is pure consciousness it's truth because it doesn't change and it is uh, in Sanskrit, it's called ananda, which means bliss. And so it's joy without an object. There's no object. It just is blissful. It is natural. So bliss is actually the nature of the self, which is good to know. I think the ecstasis is experienced. The ecstasy is intense bliss. 
So it has, as you say, it has a transcendental aspect to it of this standing out one outside of oneself or rising above oneself. So it's an intense experience of the natural bliss that's there. Um, but usually it doesn't last for long. Usually it's quite short lived. Yeah. And then we come back, back back down to equilibrium. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, I guess we should start to wrap up with, with, with this, but what, what, what we didn't really cover, I guess, was the fact that you can get emotional cocktails as well. And that's, that's, I mean, that's a whole other subject talking about how different emotions can mix. I kind of, I found there's a great video I remember seeing on YouTube about Jack Nicholson and talking about how there's a kind of a through line of anger throughout his performances and that very often it's anger mixed with something else like anger and joy, which equals a kind of cruelty, which you see like in the shining, you know, there's yes. kind of murderous psychopath. Um, there's a film he does with Harvey Keitel. I can't remember the name of it. I think he's played like a border control officer. And there's a lot of that. There's anger and fear mixed in because he's in too deep. But what's important about Jack Nicholson's, anger and the way he expresses it is that it's always connected and i think that's the that's the point we have to make really isn't it that these emotions it's great to to be aware of them and how they change us physiologically and and you know where they come from but i guess that's the the key for an actor is what is it that sparks that emotion and then to go a bit further what is it that you know gets you to that place that sparks the emotion that's what you got to find out in order to portray it you can't can't go for the result well, exactly, and and you know to, to go full circle, that's that's really the point. Um, the director will ask you to act in emotion. They'll say, "I want to see more anger. I want to see more sadness. I want to see." Do you see what I mean? You, yeah, you need to yeah. be more jealous in this situation. But as an actor, um, really, when you know what you're doing, what you need to be able to do is to translate the result which is being asked for by the director into process into actable process and um hopefully you know this has been useful for, for people to hear uh with some of these sort of, sort of stock emotions that actors have to play and of indeed that we experience in life what in terms of the spiritual psychology of acting what is the approach we take to creating these naturally and like i've said before you know the spiritual psychology of acting is really the common sense of acting because it's really all we've done is look at what are the processes of life and then, uh, you know, and say, okay, well, if that's how it works in nature, in life, how do we create, do we use the same thing? So there's no artificial technique. It's pure technique in order to create the thing truthfully. And I think that's really important for, for, you know, a good step to being a good actor is to learn to get over acting emotions to learn how to create the inner processes and then to allow the emotions to arise. And when they arise, to be emotionally available enough and open enough to be able to feel the character's feelings. So, you know, the biggest obstacle to good acting is the actor's own unfinished thinking. Well, apart from a lack of knowledge of not knowing what you're doing, that's a pretty big obstacle. But the other yeah. one is um a lack of uh, uh is t is too much emotional stuff blocking you in your psychology that you're carrying around sadness from your childhood or you're you still want to take revenge on your father or your mother uh or you still want to be the winner with your siblings um or you still think that you're not good enough uh or you still think that you do don't deserve uh, or you still believe that you need to suffer. 
you know, this is all unfinished thinking and this clogs up the emotions of the actor and it makes their um, uh, receivability uh, uh, to feel the actual character's emotions and they diminish that. So uh, an actor needs to be emotionally healthy and to be able to, you know, uh, develop a healthy relationship with their emotions, which, as I've said, is neither to repress nor indulge, but to allow, because emotions at the end of the day are transient. They don't, they're not permanent. They come and go. They arise, they're there for a period, they serve their function, they move on. If we, you know, unless we keep hold of the psychological processes that, that keep creating them. Um, and I think that's creating a healthy relationship with with the emotions and the best way to really create that detachment from your own emotions and your own thoughts is of course as you said through meditation yeah so become more aware meditation you become, you become more, more aware, aware. We, we know we can yeah. see the triggers we can see when you know we have the, the, the inappropriate emotional response and we learn how to to harness that i guess yeah, it, uh, it regulates the physiology as well, the meditation. Yeah. Like I, went, I went to the hospital once. It was a false alarm, but I went, I went into A&E and, uh, and I knew that I was all right. And, the, and, the, and she put the thing on my finger to test my pulse. And I said, do you want to see a trick? She went, go on then. And I made my pulse slow down. And all I did was I just really came into the present and connected with stillness and my pulse rate went down. And I said, do you want to, do you want me to speed it up? And she was laughing, the nurse. I was like, okay, go on then. And I started programming the action. I panic where, you know, you would have learned this on the course. How yeah, to program yeah. it. And I start programming the action. I panic. And she saw my heart rate going up and up and up and up. And she was laughing going, how the hell do you do that? And I'm like, well, that's acting technique. You know, yeah. that's the ability to control, to to program your own thoughts and therefore it will change your physiology. Yeah. I've heard it said that an amateur is somebody who can't do something that they want to do, no matter how hard they try, whereas a professional is, is able to do that very same thing even when they don't want to do it. And I guess that's the mark of a professional, isn't it? They, you still got to go on stage if you, even if you're not feeling it, but if you've got the right technique in place, you will eventually feel it. And yeah, absolutely. And acting technique is the conscious use of usually unaware processes of thought. And what are these usually unaware processes of thought? They're very simple. Causal thinking, you know, self images, life images, people images, money images, sex images, life image, you know, all, all of those things. Purposes, objectives, psychological actions. And what we call affinities, uh, the, the, the specific thoughts about a, 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 an object or a situation. And by understanding all of those building blocks, and on the course we study them in, in, in a lot of detail, each of those aspects I just named, you'll find that the, the combined use of all those elements together, you create any character, you can create any emotion. They're all just combinations of those things working together. Yeah. Um, and that's what makes good good acting is understanding the psychological processes be behind the results. Bad actors act results, good actors act processes and get results. Thank you for listening to the Spiritual Psychology of Acting podcast. 
If you're enjoying the episodes each week and feel like you're learning lots, please consider supporting us over on Patreon. A few quid a month will really help us reach more people and enables us to continue bringing you great content every week. So head over to patreon.com forward slash the spiritual psychology of acting podcast where you can receive 15% off all course material We'll also be adding more exciting benefits in the coming weeks. All of your support is really much appreciated. Please join us again next week for another episode, but until then, take care of each other and we'll see you next time. Thank you to Charlie Robinson. She helps with the video editing and artwork for this podcast and to Omid16b for providing the music. The track is called Love and is available on all streaming platforms. Mm-hmm.